is an amazing truth to sing about, and uh, thank you so much for leading us in the worship of our King, and thank you for joining us here this morning. So good to see you. Uh, really glad that you would take time and join us here at Blue Water. We've been walking through the book of what? Someone remind me. Hebrews, awesome. It's only been like a year and a half that we've been in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews are, are like this, this beautiful tapestry that is all about the glories of Jesus. It's about, uh, uh, and the writer of Hebrews takes the first 10, 10 chapters, which is kind of like three quarters of the book, and outlines all the things that Christians need to get right in their mind, uh, all the things we need to believe right about Jesus. But then there's a sharp turn, and right at the end of chapter 10, there's a turn, and basically what he does is he goes, in light of all these things, in light of the excellencies of Jesus, in light of everything that we've talked about and getting the belief right, in light of that, this then is how we need to live. Okay, and so we're going to look at that hinge. There's actually one verse that's the, that's the hinge or that's the turn, and it's uh, chapter 10, verse 39. We'll throw it up on the screen for you. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, says this. It says, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have, what's that word? It starts with an F? Faith, Faith and are saved. Now, this is really key. And we need to talk about this because the writer of Hebrews is, is, is telling us what the, the big E on the I chart is for the Christian life. So if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to live to follow Jesus, there is one thing that kind of uh, hovers over everything else that's in, in uh, importance, and it is faith. Christians are those who live by faith. And that should cause us to ask, okay, if it is faith that, uh, that a Christian is supposed to live by, what is faith? Well, thankfully, he answers that for us in the very next verse. We'll throw this on the screen for you as well. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the very next verse, it says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's the way that my translation reads it, the translation that I'm using called the New International Version. That's the way that it renders it. And in fact, most of the translations that we have probably represented here this morning are going to render it like this. So we'll uh, throw this next slide up on the screen for you. It will say something like, now faith is the confidence or the assurance, if you care, the word in the original language is hypostasis. It's the confidence or the assurance of things hoped for. It's the assurance or the conviction, the Greek word is elikos, of things unseen. Now, that is not how all of the translations that we have likely represented here are going to render it, though. Because there are some translations that are going to read something like this. We'll throw the next slide up. It will say, faith is the substance or the reality of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. And you can see which versions render these things differently. And when you look at this, if, if you look at these different uh, streams of translation, you notice that, that that's, they're not exactly the same. If you look at the, the, the upper one, what they're, the, the, the translators are saying, what the writer is saying, at least as the way it's conveyed, is that faith is something that primarily happens in the mind. That faith is something that primarily happens in cognition, and, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's conviction, it's assurance, it's unseen, it, it happens up here. 
However, the bottom stream of translation is not so much about the mind, it's, it, it's more of a substance. It's more of like, hey, where does something hit the road? Where it hits the road, the reality, the evidence, that's what faith is. Which one is right? Well, first of all, we don't need to uh, panic. Uh, the first thing we need to say is, you don't need to worry that someone's trying to pollute or distort your Bible, anything like that. If you've ever done any type of translation, what you know is that almost never between languages is there a one-to-one corollary, is there a one-to-one translation. I remember being in a French class in elementary school. I think I only did grade nine in, in high school. And when you're doing vocab work, they have you like this word en français equals this word in English. But once you become bilingual, what you find is that, no, no, it's, there's not a one-to-one parallel. Actually, there's distinct nuance, and, and that's normal when any translation is involved. And the reality is, uh, Lucas, throw those, the, that last slide back up there for us. The reality is that it's not either or. Faith is not either in uh, uh, your mind. It's not either cognition or reality. The truth is that faith is both. What is faith? Well, the way we say it around here all the time is faith is that we trust the Lord in such a way that it, be, that it hits our feet. We trust the Lord in such a way that it changes our behavior. And this becomes incredibly important for us. In the passage we're going to look, by the way, this is all review. We talked about this in the past couple weeks. But it's important for us to remember this as we dig into our passage today, which if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, is where we're going to be uh, walking down. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. What the writer of Hebrews is going to do is he's going to take this definition of faith. He's going to do what his habit is, go back to the Old Testament and using the Old Testament that the the original audience of Hebrews was quite familiar with, he's going to give evidence that faith is an incredibly important part of the life of the people of God. Okay, so having said that, let's dive into our text. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, here's what it says. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now, um, Okay, before we get into that, um, we're going to be cover what he covers over the next uh, bunch of, cha- uh, of verses is a whole bunch of stories in the Old Testament. Now, when I, I was curious about how other churches tend to handle this, and so when I looked, um, it seems like most churches would take three or even four sermons to cover what we're going to cover today. We're going to kind of do a bit of a, a flyby, though, for a couple reasons. The first thing is we've been in Hebrews for a long time already, and we don't want to stretch that out any more than we have to. The second reason is because a lot of the stories that he told, uh, that he's going to mention here, we've actually covered in this, either this past summer uh, or we'll be covering this summer, and it seemed a little weird to kind of dig into that um, any more deeply than that. But what he's referring to in these verses happens in Genesis chapter 22, when God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, the child of promise, and to sacrifice him. 
And in an act of faith, Abraham did exactly that. He took his son, his only son, born to him in his old age. Um, uh, they, They went up on the mountain, and he bound his son, put him on the altar. He had the knife in his hand. His hand was raised when God stopped his hand and then provided a ram whose horns were caught in some bushes to be the sacrifice. Now, you don't need to worry that God is going to ask you to sacrifice your child to demonstrate your faith. You don't need to worry about that. Why do we not need to worry about that? The reason we don't need to worry about it is because um, uh, when Abraham lived, this was before the Bible was written down. This was before the written word of God. The way that we, living when we do, know what God has for us, know what God wants for us, is through his word. So if you ever feel like God wants me to demonstrate my faith in him by sacrificing my child, you can know definitively that he doesn't want that. That's not the voice of God because we're going to get in catechism in in just a few weeks. God said, thou shalt not murder. Now you say, why why are you talking about this? Who would do that? Um, Actually, a friend of a friend of mine um, was involved in a situation very much like this, not too far from us, just in the Kitchener-Waterloo area not that long ago, where they, uh, someone was, felt like God was telling them to sacrifice their child, and they did. And it's horrific. And that feeling that you have right now, that, oh my goodness, how could someone possibly do that? That's the feeling you're supposed to have. And when you read Genesis 22, the story of Abraham, the feeling you're supposed to have is how could someone possibly do this? And then you're supposed to remember that God stopped Abraham's hand, but when his son was in the same position, when his son was going to be offered as a sacrifice, God did not stop his hand. And Jesus, the Son of God, was sacrificed for us. In having faith in Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus sacrificed for us is how we live the Christian life. Okay, we've got to keep moving or we're going to get bogged down. Look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By the way, it's, it's interesting that Esau is mentioned. Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. All right, number of uh, stories that are referred to here. Uh, the first couple of, of, of stories, by the way, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll have uh, be able to get a lot more out of this. If you're not familiar with these stories, would love for you to uh, go back in and, and, uh, the book of Genesis and Exodus and, and pick up these stories. You'll be able to get much more out of it. But the first couple of things he mentions in this group of verses are blessing children. Now, in both of these situations, the younger child was blessed more than the older. There's this weird inversion. And in the culture in that time, it was the oldest son who was blessed the most. It was the oldest son who carried on the name of the father. It was the oldest son who received the the double share of the inheritance. 
It was always the oldest son that was blessed more than the younger, but in both of these situations, God said in advance, actually, we're going to invert that. And the younger son is going to be blessed more than the older. And the original audience of the book of Hebrews would have been familiar enough that they were like, yeah, actually, God said that, and that came, that came to pass. God said it, and it came true. So we can trust what God says. If you then look at verse 22, Joseph uh, lived in Egypt. He was so confident in God's promise. He was so confident in the covenant that God had made with his, uh, I guess that would be his great-grandfather, that God was going to give the people a land that when Joseph was in Egypt, he was like, when you guys leave here, not if, when you guys leave here and go back to the land God has promised you, take my remains with you. So he would have been a mummy, just like you see in the pictures in National Geographic, all wrapped in stuff. And, and they took his remains, his mummified remains with them back to the promised land. In other words, Joseph believed God so much, he had faith in God so much that it changed his behavior. And that's how we need to live too. Look at verse 23 as we start getting into the life of Moses. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Can you imagine a newborn having to keep that baby hidden for three months with nobody noticing? Can you imagine doing that? Crazy. And why did they do that? Because they saw he was no ordinary child. Hands up, parents that looked into the, the eyes of one year newborn children and said, this is no ordinary child, right? Am I, am I the only one? Okay, okay. So some, at least the Crestman kids, God said, uh, 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 their father said, this is no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By the way, how do we see something that is invisible? By faith. Verse 28. By faith... He kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. A lot of things we could um, dig out from all of these stories that he's referring to, but the, the central theme in this is that Moses could have had the, the wealth and abundance and privilege and power. He could have had all of it that he wanted. He was the adopted grandson of the guy who was almost certainly the most powerful person on the face of the world at that time. Egypt was the world's superpower. But even though he had access to all of that wealth and power and abundance and, and all of it, he considered it, well, let's look at what verse 25 says. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Um, this week, uh, had a... a 
a difficult moment when um, I had to look into the tear-filled eyes of my daughter as she had to process through um, one of her friends, former friends, I don't, know, I don't know, teenagers, I don't know how this goes, who had posted all kinds of angry um, uh, videos about my daughter, I think on TikTok, and how, what, what a wicked person she is, what an evil person she is, because my daughter chose to stand by what the Bible says. And dads, of daughters especially, <laughs> if you've ever had to have that moment of trying to, like, comfort and explain, like, why is this person acting that way? Well, my dear, it's because you chose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You chose to be disgraced for the sake of Christ as greater value than all the treasures of being welcomed and accepted and belonging in the world right now. And it's not an easy thing to walk through. And it made me ask myself, am I willing, for the sake of Christ, to say what he says, to do what he instructed us to do as followers of Christ, even if it means rejection and slander from the world around us? The only way we can walk that is by faith. The only way we can navigate that is by faith. Verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Okay. So here we have a couple of uh, high points from Israel's history. And if you notice these, uh, if, if you um, are familiar with the background stories to this, basically the Israelites were at a place where they couldn't move forward anymore. They were stuck. They were up against it. They had no hope of saving themselves or winning the victory themselves. They had to trust in the Lord. And in these circumstances, God showed his power. And so again, these, the original audience of this letter, who, who was very familiar with these stories, they would have heard this and remembered, oh yeah, I can trust the Lord because he has come through for our people in the past in amazing, amazing ways in showing his power. Look at verse 31, very interesting verse. Last one we're gonna look at this morning. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed along with those who are disobedient. Now, this lady, Rahab, she was not an Israelite. She was a Canaanite. She was living in one of the cities that Israel was coming in and was going to take over. And in the original, uh, in the Old Testament, and here, she is introduced as a prostitute. Now, the rendering of that, it could, it could be rendered, uh, if not prostitute, it could be rendered innkeeper. But if it is innkeeper, it's um, maybe not your normal innkeeper. It's that kind of innkeeper, if you get what I'm driving at. 
So she's introduced in disrepute, and she comes to be known through history in, with this disrepute. But even though she was a Canaanite, not an Israelite, she saw what God was doing, and she had faith in what God was doing, faith so much that she was ready to turn away from the idols that she had and the gods that she had grown up worshiping and turning to the Lord, turning away from the people that she had uh, lived with her entire life and turning to the Lord. She believed God enough that she was willing to do that. And she kind of comes down through history as, uh, as a prostitute. And it's kind of weird. It's a little bit unfortunate because you know what actually happened? She was in included into the community of Israel. She believed God enough. She had faith in God and God changed her. You know the Old Testament book of Ruth? Ruth, she ends up uh, marrying this guy named Boaz. Um, Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law. <laughs> she was Boaz's mom. We don't know if she was alive when Ruth was on the scene. We're not given that detail. We don't know that. She also ended up becoming the great, great uh, grandfather of King David, the most significant, important king in the history of Israel. She was also one of the great, great, had a whole bunch of great grandmothers of Jesus. She believed God she lived by faith in such a way that it changed her, that God changed her. And by faith, God can change you too. All this to say, the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, the old, just look through the Old Testament. The heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, they all lived by faith. And it always cost them something. What does it look like for us to live by faith? I want to take just a couple of minutes that we have here at the end of our time together and um, just kind of talk about two ways that uh, this hits the road for us. I think the first way that as Christians living right now that the rubber meets the road for us as a church is in the area of unity. Okay, and I say unity, not unanimity. Because the reality is, uh, every church that I'm aware of has, has navigated um, non-essential issues like masking and vac vaccines and uh, mandates and all these kind of things, um, not with unity, but with unanimity. What I mean by, mean by that is that the church has gone a certain direction and everyone who, essentially everyone who didn't agree that this is the direction that should be gone, bailed and left and went to a different church. And sometimes the Lord moves us around, that's how it goes. You know, Blue Water hasn't, that, that hasn't marked Blue Water in the way that we have walked this. We haven't walked it with unanimity. We have walked it with unity. Understanding that, you know what, there are brothers and sisters as we look around this room right now who have a different opinion about how this should go, but we believe in, by faith what Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, that we need as a church to bear with one another in love. Now this last round of lockdowns, I will confess, has been, uh, we're a little bit brittle, I think, and has been hard for us as a, as a community. It's been hard for us as a body, as a church. How do we walk by faith? 
by believing the Lord that non-essential issues like all of these things that we mentioned are, are, are indeed non-essential and that, biblically speaking, and that we need to navigate this bearing with one another in love, in unity, not unanimity. The, um, the second thing that, that came to mind as I thought about how the rubber meets the road as it pertains to how we need to live by faith is in connection to the Great Commission. Now last week we talked about uh, the fact, it's not an idea, it's a fact, that in three generations our culture has changed so dramatically. So we, uh, cult- the culture in Ontario went from uh, three generations ago, my dad's generation, from being a Christianized generation. My generation was a post-Christian generation and my children's generation is a pre-Christian generation. The culture has gone all the way around to where we functionally have no knowledge of the gospel and what that means is that we need as Christians to live by uh, faith. We need to live as missionaries on mission for God. How do we do that? Well, thankfully, he gave us a great commission in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 28 that uh, we would make disciples as we go into all the world, baptizing, um, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. We need to, by faith, Remember that we need to be good missionaries in this world. Is it going to cost us something? Yes, it's going to cost us something. Are we going to have to lay some things down? Almost certainly we will. But listen, if the culture could, can spiral down in just that, those few generations, do you not believe that with the Lord, he could get this culture back <laughs> in less time when his people who are called by his name, live by faith on mission for him? Do you not believe that? I do. So what do we need to do? Live by faith as good missionaries in this culture. So we tell people in our circles about Jesus. We be good missionaries where God has us, living like we saw last week as strangers and aliens in a world that's not our own. We count the cost. We love when we're despised. If necessary, we lay our lives down for the sake of the gospel. But none of this is is without purpose. None of this is purposeless. And at the end of the day, it's all worth it. Because at the end of the day, we get to see (laughs) with our eyes the thing that we can't see yet or the thing that we can only see by faith yet. One day we will see our king. And until then, we trust the Lord in such a way that it changes our behavior.